Wow, how delightful to see this place filled up with young faces as well as some of the more mature um, faces that we see. Greetings in the name of the Lord. I've been looking forward to discovering, I have to close this. I've been looking forward to discovering the sacred space and encountering your community for a long time, for such a time as this. I am here because of my friendship with your Associate Dean, Dr. Natasha Duquette, but I want to thank all of Tyndale for being willing to give me a shot right out of the dark. Intellectual friendship shared by believers is a special sort of friendship because at the heart of the relationship is the Lord, Jesus Christ. He is the one who has called the friendship into being. Dr. Duquette's work on the sublime attracted me to her, and as we became friends, we worked together on a number of projects, most notably a faculty discussion about an opera that was performed at our university. More on that later. And so, as I speak today, think about the friendships that you are building here at Tyndale College. These intellectual friendships are powerful, but at your university, unlike mine, these intellectual friendships have an additional potential. Tyndale University College accepts any student who meets its admissions requirement, which means that not all students are Christians. This makes Tyndale a very special place, where students of every faith, and some with none at all, driven by intellectual curiosity, come to learn and seek the truth. This means that this place is a place of encounter. As I have prayed about my message to you today, I have thought deeply about what this means. You students have an amazing opportunity to create a flourishing intellectual community where the faith is taken seriously. This chapel, so glorious in its rich symbolism and layers of design and meaning, has a 1960s vibe filled with the hope of tomorrow's science wedded to our eternal faith in Christ. The mosaics, beautiful in their mixture of blues, greens, and golds, summon up a picture of heaven. Look above the cross and you will see a hexagon, a six-sided shape that in the Catholic lexicon of images represents the halo of God the Father. Shooting out from that halo are rays representing the Holy Spirit, and the empty cross represents the resurrected Christ in heaven ruling from above. Yet he is nowhere to be seen. Why is that? Think about the book of Esther. a historical book about events that really took place. The name of God is not mentioned, but the faith of Mordecai and Esther and the presence of the Jewish people in ancient Persia is the context of the story. Think about Esther and think about today as I speak. Why is God not mentioned in the book of Esther? I will return to this question too, just a little later. With all of its glorious beauty, this chapel is a little foreign to me and perhaps to you too. First of all, I'm not a Catholic. I'm a convert from Judaism, which is a complicated thing since my people consider me an apostate. It has taken me a long time to appreciate the physical expression of our faith in Christian art and architecture. Like many of you, the congregations where I've worshipped have been gymnasiums or old Protestant churches where the decorations are simple. This place feels a little cold, a little alien, especially when it's empty. It's a, sub, it's a beautiful, sublime space, but without people in it, it seems almost royally austere with all the marble, the stone, and the mosaics, otherworldly, foreign. But 
I was privileged to be here for its dedication last Friday night. And as the choir sang and the president spoke, as the prayers were read and as the congregation responded, the place filled with an aching longing for the Holy Spirit to fill the place. And indeed it happened. The prayers of the congregation filled the chapel with hope and expectation. And this is as it should be. The Lord is present in your hearts. You are the presence of the Lord in this place. I pray that there will be constant prayer in this chapel, interceding for the students, the staff, administration, and the future of this community. I pray that it will be filled with prayer for Bayview, for Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and the world. And I pray that it will be filled also for God's people, the prayers for God's people, the church, and Israel, and the nations at this time, a time of great suffering for the peoples of the Middle East and worldwide. When Dr. Duquette and I were teaching at Biola University, our conservatory put on an opera about a little-known episode during the French Revolution. Nuns cloistered in a Carmelite convent were sent to the guillotine, and as they were each executed, they sang hymns together. The hymns did not end until the guillotine fell for the last time and the last voice was silenced. Dr. Duquette and I each gave a lecture about the opera from our disciplines. She is an English professor and me as a historian. While I was doing my research, I discovered a connection to a Jewish convert to Catholicism with whom I was vaguely familiar, named Edith Stein. She was a source of enormous controversy because she died at Auschwitz. Edith had become a Carmelite late in her life, and Jewish people were angry that the Catholics had canonized her in 1987 as a martyr of her people, as a Jew and as a Catholic, but she was so much more. Like William Tyndale, your namesake, Edith was a brilliant scholar. She studied philosophy, specializing in the field known as phenomenology, which aims at describing the way that human beings know external reality. It recognized a reality beyond the mind, unlike many other forms of philosophy. She studied in a secular setting and wrote her dissertation on the problem of empathy. She studied, oh, sorry, William Tyndale was strangled and then burned at the stake by the Catholic Church for translating the Bible to English. His martyrdom was ex also extremely important to me as a scholar. His courage and scholarship are models for us Protestants. In this space, it's good that a Catholic convent is now a Christian university. The Lord is bringing us together again. So let us now consider the life of a brilliant female scholar killed by a modern state because she was a Jew and because she was a Catholic. Edith was a fascinating person. One of her biographers wrote, Edith Stein is one of those people whose entire life seems to be a sign. I wish that I had enough time to share her story with you in detail, but I don't have enough time. I wish that I could tell you about all of her works and the scholarship now being done on her thought and life, but I don't have enough time. I wish that I could tell you about her deep spirituality, but I don't have enough time. I only have enough time to tell you about her one act of courage. She, like Esther said, if I perish, I perish. For ours is a world of real warfare on earth and in the unseen spiritual realms. We must all be warriors in a battlefield such as this. I will give you snippets of her life, quoting her to allow you to think about God's calling in your life at this time in human history. In particular, please hold in your minds those Christians and others in the Middle East who are being persecuted, tortured, enslaved, raped, and killed by ISIS and other mad expressions of the human heart in all its depravity. What will you do to stand up for them? 
Will you tell their stories? I ask you to think about how this campus will relate to others unlike us, some of whom may be refugees, but all of whom need God. What will your testimony be to them? I hope that these thoughts will inspire you to respond for such a time as this. Edith explained, I had given up practicing my Jewish religion when I was a 14-year-old girl and did not begin to feel Jewish again until I had returned to God. That is my testimony in a sentence. During this time, the First World War was raging. Edith had been good friends with Husserl's Gottingen assistant, Adolf Reinach, and his wife. When Reinach fell in Flanders in November 1917, Edith went to Göttingen to visit his widow. The Reinachs had converted to Protestantism. They also had been Jewish. Edith felt uneasy about meeting the young widow at first, but was surprised when she actually met a woman of faith. This was my first encounter with the cross and the divine power it imparts to those who bear it. It was the moment when my unbelief collapsed and Christ began to shine his light on me, Christ in the mystery of the cross. During this period, she went to Frankfurt Cathedral and saw a woman with a shopping basket going in to kneel for a brief prayer. This was something totally new to me, she wrote. In the synagogues and Protestant churches I had visited, people simply went to the services. Here, however, I saw someone coming straight from the busy marketplace into this empty church. And if she was going to have an intimate conversation, as if she was going to have an intimate conversation, it was something I never forgot. Towards the end of her dissertation, she wrote, there have been people who believe that a sudden change had occurred within them and that this was a result of God's grace. I want you to take note of this. Will this chapel be a place where students, staff, and administration will come at all times to pray and encounter the Lord? Later, Edith wrote, things were in God's plan which I had not planned at all. I am coming to the living faith and conviction that, from God's point of view, there is no chance and that the whole of my life, down to every detail, has been mapped out in God's divine providence and makes complete and perfect sense in God's all-seeing eyes. One evening, Edith picked up an autobiography of St. Teresa of Avila and read this book all night. When I finished the book, I said to myself, this is the truth. Later, looking back on her life, she wrote, my longing for truth was a single prayer. During the time immediately before and quite some time afterward, Edith thought that leading a religious life meant giving up all earthly things and having one's mind fixed on divine things only. Gradually, she wrote, I learned that other things are expected of us in this world. I even believe that the deeper someone is drawn to God, the more he has to get beyond himself in this sense. That is, go into the world and carry the divine life into it. In April 1933, during Easter week, Edith stopped in Cologne at the Carmelite convent during the service for Holy Thursday. She attended it with a friend, and by her account, the homily moved her deeply. She wrote, I told our Lord that I knew it was his cross that was now being placed upon the Jewish people, that most of them did not understand this, but that those who did would have to take it up willingly in the name of all. I could do that. At the end of the service, I was certain that I had been heard, but what this carrying of the cross was to consist in, that I did not know. Every time I feel my powerlessness and inability to influence people directly, she wrote, I become more keenly aware of the necessity of my own Holocaust. This is before they called the Holocaust the Holocaust. 
She learned that it was possible to pursue scholarship as service to God. It was not until I had understood this, she wrote, that I seriously began to approach academic work again. She successfully combined scholarship and faith in her work and her teaching, seeking to be a tool of the Lord in everything she taught. If anyone comes to me, I want to lead them to him. In 1933, at the age of 42, darkness broke out over Germany. I had heard of severe measures against Jews before, but now it dawned on me that God had laid his hand heavily on his people and that the destiny of these people would also be mine. The Aryan law of the Nazis made it impossible for Edith to continue teaching. If I can't go on here, then there are no longer any opportunities for me in Germany, she wrote. I had become a stranger in the world. She had already taken a vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience. In the shadow of the swastika, she met with the prioress of the Carmelite convent in Cologne and explained why she wanted to enter the convent. Human activities cannot help us, but only the suffering of Christ. It is my desire to share in it. In particular, she wanted to intercede to God for her people. I keep thinking of Queen Esther, who was taken away from her people precisely because God wanted her to plead with the king on behalf of her nation. I am a very poor and powerless little Esther, but the king who has chosen me is infinitely great and merciful. This is a great comfort. Only on uh, February 15, 2003, did the Vatican Archives reveal a 1933 letter from Edith Stein written to Pope Pius XI uh, shortly before she went into the convent. On April 12, 1933, Edith sent a letter to the Pope asking him to condemn Hitler's escalating program of persecution against Jews and Catholics. The letter was released to the public February 15, 2003 from the newly opened Vatican Archives. Here's um, a little excerpt. She wrote, Holy Father, as a child of the Jewish people who, by the grace of God for the past 11 years, has been a child of the Catholic Church, I dare to speak to the Father of Christendom about that which oppresses millions of Germans. For weeks we have seen deeds perpetrated in Germany which mock any sense of justice and humanity, not to mention love of neighbor. For years the leaders of National Socialism have been preaching hatred of the Jews. Now that they have seized the power of government and armed their followers, among them criminal elements, this seed of hatred has germinated. The government has only recently admitted that excesses have occurred. To what extent we can not tell because public opinion is being gagged. However, judging by what I have learned from personal relations, it is in no way a matter of singular exceptional cases. Under pressure from reactions abroad, the government has turned to milder, milder methods. It has issued the watchword, no Jew should have one, even one hair on his head harmed. But through boycott measures, by robbing people of their livelihood, civic honor, and fatherland, it drives many to desperation. Within the last week through private reports, I was informed of five cases of suicide as a consequence of these hostilities. I am convinced that this is a general condition which will claim many more victims. One may regret that these unhappy people do not have greater inner strength to bear their misfortune, 
but the responsibility must fall, after all, on those who brought them to this point. And it also falls on those who keep silent in the face of such happenings. Everything that happened and continues to happen on a daily basis originates with a government that calls itself Christian. For weeks, not only Jews, but also thousands of faithful Catholics in Germany, and I believe all over the world, have been waiting and hoping for the Church of Christ to raise its voice to put a stop to this abuse of Christ's name. It is not this idolization of race and governmental power which is being pounded into the public consciousness by the radio open heresy? Isn't the effort to destroy Jewish blood and abuse of the holiest humanity of our Savior, of the most blessed Virgin and the Apostles? Is not all this diametrically opposed to the conduct of our Lord and Savior, who even on the cross still prayed for his persecutors? And isn't this a black mark on the record of this holy year, which was intended to be a year of peace and reconciliation? We all who are faithful children of the church and who see the conditions in Germany with open eyes fear the worst for the prestige of the church if the silence continues any longer. We are convinced that this silence will not be able in the long run to purchase peace with the present German government. For the time being, the fight against Catholicism will be conducted quietly and less brutally than against Jewry, but no less systematically. It won't take long before no Catholic will be able to hold an office in Germany unless he dedicates himself unconditionally to the new course of action. Her entreaties to the Pope did not lead to direct action except for the 1937 document smuggled from Rome into German parishes which denounced racism and pagan ideology of the Third Reich. Edith Stein was now known as Sister Theresia Benedicta Acruce, Teresa Blessed of the Cross. At the age of 47 in 1938, she wrote, I understand the cross as the destiny of God's people, which was beginning to be apparent at the time in 1933. I felt that those who understood the cross of Christ should take it upon themselves on everybody's behalf. Of course, I know better now what it means to be wedded to the Lord in the sign of the cross. However, one can never apprehend it because it is a mystery. When she made her eternal profession on 21 April 1938, she had the words of St. John of the Cross printed on her devotional picture. Henceforth, my only vocation is to love. While in the Cologne convent, Edith had been given permission to start her academic studies, and among other things, she wrote a biography of her own family. Her entry into the Carmelite order, into the convent, was not about escapism. Those who joined the Carmelite order, she wrote, are not lost to their near and dear ones, but have been won for them because it is our vocation to intercede to God for everyone. On 9 November 1938, the anti-Semitism of the Nazis became apparent to the whole world. Synagogues were burned and the Jewish people were subjected to terror. The prioress of the Carmelite convent in Cologne did her utmost to take Sister Theresia abroad. On New Year's Eve 1938, she was smuggled into the Netherlands. This is where she wrote her will on June 9, 1939. Even now I accept the death that God has prepared for me in complete submission and with joy as being his most holy will for me. I ask the Lord to accept my life and death so that the Lord will be accepted by his people and that his kingdom may come in glory for the salvation of Germany and the peace of the world. In Echt, Edith Stein hurriedly completed her study of St. Thomas um, the Aquinas. And then she was arrested by the Gestapo on the 2nd of August, 1942, at the age of 51. 
She was to report within five minutes together with her sister Rosa, who had also converted and was serving at the Echt convent. Her last words to be heard in Echt were addressed to Rosa, come, we are going to our people. Together with many other Jewish Christians, the two women were taken to a transit camp in Amersfoort and then to Westerbork. This was an act of retaliation against the letter of protest written by the Dutch Roman Catholic bishops against the pogroms and deportations of Jews. Edith commented, I never knew that people could be like this. Neither did I know that my brothers and sisters would have to suffer like this. I pray for them every hour. Will God hear our, our prayers? He will certainly hear them in their distress. Um, a witness said, she is a witness to God's presence in a world where God is absent. On 7 August, early in the morning, 987 Jews were deported to Auschwitz. It was probably on 9th of August that Sister Teresa and her sister and many of her people were gassed. It was the last day of, uh, I want to take you now to the last day of freedom for St. Edith and her sister Rosa. I'm going to say that this is another quote as she was being prepared for um, her, deport, her deportation. I'm asking this today because it is already the 12th hour. I, I know I am nothing, but Jesus wills it and he will, come, he will call many more to the same sacrifice in these days. The Catholic bishops of Holland had issued that joint protest against the deportation of Dutch Jews by the Nazis and it was instructed to be read in every, at every Mass in all churches on Sunday, July 26. Prior to that, the bishops had procured an exemption for the deportation of Catholics of Jewish origin from the Nazi authorities. But this was all taken away, and people were very confused and upset about this. Um, the Germans said, because it was possible that this would be a rebellion against what they were ordering, ordering the Nazis said, we are compelled to regard the Catholic Jews as our worst enemies and consequently see to their deportation to the East with all possible speed. The savage reaction of the Nazis to the pastoral letter of the Dutch bishops is what motivated Pope Pius XII to withhold and destroy his own protest, which he had already composed. And the sources tell us that the Vatican itself was filled to overflowing with Jews who had come to its doors to seek refuge. The deportation of Edith and her sister was an act undertaken in hatred of the faith as a reprisal for the condemnation of the Nazi persecution of the Jews by the Catholic hierarchy in Holland. Um, then a Jewish Catholic writes, our martyr was of Jewish origin, but she would not have been deported if she had not been a Catholic. So now I'm taking you to Westerbrook, and here's the, um, the report of an eyewitness. Her whole appearance, as I picture her in my memory, sitting in that hut, suggested only one thought to me, a Pieta without Christ, a Rachel weeping for her children. The next, um, the next striking testimony says, amongst the prisoners who were brought in on the 5th of August, Sister Benedicta stood out on account of her calmness and composure. The distress in the barracks and the stir caused by the new arrivals was indescribable. Sister Benedicta was just like an angel going around amongst the women, comforting them, helping them, and calming them. Many of the mothers were near to distraction. They had not bothered about their children on the whole day long, but just sat brooding in dumb despair. Sister Benedicta took care of the little children, washed them and combed them, attending to their feeding and other needs. 
During the whole of her stay there, she washed and cleaned for people, following one act of charity with another until everyone wondered at her goodness. Our saint spent as much time as she could in prayer, never complaining, neither about the food nor the behavior of the soldiers. Everyone benefited from her uplifting example. She went about talking, praying like a saint. In one conversation, she said to me, the world is made up of opposites, but in the end, nothing remains of these contrasts. What only remains is great love. How is it possible for it to be otherwise? She spoke with such security and humility as to conquer all of her listeners. I'm haunted by one um, final incident in Edith's life. Um, they had been crowded into a train, and the train made a stop along the Polish frontier in Breslau, which was her um, birthplace. And there, the door was opened, and Edith managed to recognize an ex-pupil of hers standing on the platform to convey her greetings to the sisters. Tell them, she said, I'm on my way to the east. Many died along the route. They did not, were not allowed to remove the corpses from the cars. So you can't imagine the horror of these death trains. But then again, later that same day, having been transferred to a cattle train, she reportedly stopped briefly in her old hometown again and was sighted by the postal worker. And he noticed a nun appearing at the entrance of the railway car as the door was slid open by a guard. Sister Benedicta looked around and said, this is my beloved hometown. I will never see it again. We are riding to our death. And then there was a little exchange in which she said she didn't want anything. And so that was the end of her life. Now, there's so many things that could be done with this story. And of course, in this short time, I can't do that. But I do want to say that you are God's witnesses and you shall be his witnesses. And so your life is not an endless series of open doors. Listen to your heart. Do not stay on the surface, but go to the heart of things. And when the time is right, have the courage to decide. The Lord is waiting for you to put your freedom in his good hands. Here at Tyndale, you have the unique opportunity not to be a self-referential social enclave, but a place of encounter where seekers and believers can come together to study the word of God and our world together. May God bless this community with grace and generosity, where the fire of faith will burn bright and draw others close to God, our Father, through Christ his Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>